Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill Hill Ferro Baptist Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast you're about to enjoy was given live before the congregation at Sand Hill. It is our desire as a church to live Christ to people while loving people to Christ. We pray that this podcast will invigorate and encourage your walk with Christ. It is our steadfast belief that we can still have unwavering faith if we hold fast the absolute truth of God's mighty word. For more sermons like this and additional content, visit our website www.sandhillfwb.com or visit our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. Numbers chapter 14, if you find in your place uh, there this morning, and uh, I'm going to just go ahead and admit the fact I am very stirred this morning. Um, God is really, um, really stirring my heart, and I'm uh, asking Him to help me to um, bridle my tongue to just say what He wants me to, uh, but I am very stirred this morning. I'm, I'm very, very stirred about some things, and, and I'm going to, I try to come before you with the Word of God, and I try to come before you with... Um, a message from God. I try to come uh, with you something that you can take home with you. That's always my desire. Uh, but I, I really do want to speak from my heart this morning because my heart is, as I said, is um, is really stirred. And um, we've been talking for weeks now, uh, really probably ever since the, um, the separation started. We started talking about a new look at the Bible, trying to understand why we read the Bible. What What's the point? And then, then we got to thinking about rethinking church, just making sure that we're doing church the right way. And last week we, we started a, a, a series on a new standard. And we said, you know, we have phenomenal standards here at Sand Hill. We work hard and we read our Bibles and we live holy and we come to church. And we, all the things we do, phenomenal standards, great things. Uh, but we need the power of God. We need the power of God. And all of those tremendous standards that we have are really insufficient without the power of God. Amen? And that was kind of the thought last week. So, uh, and I, I want to clarify this, just make sure anybody knows me knows this. I, don't, I shouldn't have to say this, but, but I'll just repeat it again to make sure it's not misunderstood. I don't want anyone to think that in that statement I am saying, throw the Bible out the door and let's just go with our feelings, right? If I feel like I should do something, that must be God and I'm going to do it, right? That is the opposite of what I mean and, and no one that knows me that. But, but I am talking about understanding what God wants and then knowing we can't do it. And knowing it will take God to get it done. That's the power of God, and that's what we need to do. And uh, this story that I found, um, I was just reading, I uh, wasn't looking for a message or a preach or anything. I was just reading in my normal reading and some time back, and I come across this. And I'll be honest, I was just kind of, uh, um, I remember sitting at the breakfast table before I went to work, and I read this, and I was just like, I can't believe it says that. I, it, I was just awestruck by it, and uh, feel, hopefully it fits in perfect this morning. But before we read the scripture, let me bring you up to speed on where we're at in the story. So the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. We all know that story. They, they, the plagues, they come out, parting of the Red Sea, um, Passover, all of that is behind them. They've wandered in the wilderness now for almost 40 years. It is now time to go into the promised land that God has promised them that they will have. And so Moses sits down and he gets 12 spies, one person from each tribe. Uh, and sends them out to spy out the land. Uh, they've been hearing about the promised land for a long time. They say, well, let's go check it out. So Moses sends them out there. They come back. The 12 spies come back. Two of the spies, Jacob and Josh, Caleb and Joshua, they say, you know what? This isn't going to be a problem. If God is with us, we, we can do this. We, we can take the land that God has promised. The other 10 said, it's a beautiful land. But there's no way we can do this. It's the, the odds are too much against us. The, the, uh, they're walled cities and they're giants and they're strong nations. There's no way we can do it. And, and they, they discourage the entire nation. And God said, because you don't believe that my power will deliver you, I'm going to destroy the whole nation. Right? I'm going to destroy the whole nation of Israel. And I'll start all over with Moses. And so Moses, uh, picking up the story at that point in the story, Moses begins to talk to the Lord. 
And so, so God has said, I'm going to destroy all the children of Israel. So let me, let me make sure I set this up right. We have a military crisis. We have a huge nation and we have a small army. Okay, military crisis. We have an economic crisis. We have a leadership crisis. We have a government crisis. We have a spiritual crisis. We are in a mess. Uh, and, and we're right on the brink of, you know, we're either going to have to go into the promised land and face all these huge giants or we're going to stay here in the wilderness where nobody wants to be. We can't go back to Egypt. It's a mess. You, you follow? That's, that's the storyline. And so Moses begins to pray at that very time. And I'll be honest, I can't believe what he prayed. I, I just can't believe what Moses said. And so let's pick up the reading. Uh, if you're able, I ask you to stand uh, Numbers chapter 14, and we'll begin reading with verse 15. Um, again, Moses is now talking to God. Uh, he's wanting to destroy the children of Israel. And we'll pick up his prayer in verse number 15. <clears throat> now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of the Lord be great. Look right up here. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? We're in a mess and Moses says, God, display your almightiness. Display how powerful you are. And without looking at your Bibles, what would you think he would say? Because the next words just really just blow me away. So let's look at what he says. He says, show us your power. He says, according as thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast give, forgiven this people from Egypt until now, and the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, and all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me, and now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Lord, help me not say anything you don't want me to say. Lord, bridle my tongue. Lord, stir my spirit. Let me speak to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. And amen. If you understand at this most critical point, when really the entire future of the nation was on the line, when literally God was ready to, to destroy the entire nation, at that moment, Moses says, God, show us how powerful you are. I'll be honest, Charles, I thought reading that he would say, and just wipe out all those other nations. I thought he would say, Lord, bring us all together, bring Israel all together. Or, or Lord, um, give, give us some great miracle or sign from heaven. But this is what he said. Forgive them. Forgive them. You know what that says to me? This is what that said to me. When I read that, I, it, it just really got home. This is what that said to me. Of all of the great things that God does, there's nothing any greater than forgiving our sins. You think about that. He said, show us your power. And he said, forgive us our sins. 
And I don't want to get ahead of myself this morning, but I, I, just, I just want you to understand. In America today, uh, we're going to talk about America today, but in America today, we think we need God to fix Corona. We think we need God to fix all the mess in Washington. We think we need, but you know what we need God to do? We need God to, we, show, God, show how powerful you are and just wipe out all those bad people. God, show how powerful you are and fix this. Fire. You know what we need God to do? We need God to change people by salvation. That's what we need. Listen, that's the greatest miracle. Oh, it'd be a miracle if God just fixed Corona. Not near as big as if he'd save souls. It'd be a miracle if he'd fix all this controversy that's going on. Not near as big as if he'd save souls. Listen, there's nothing God does. And then don't you love it that he said uh, in verse uh, 20, I think it is. Don't you love it that he said, he said, I will pardon. I will pardon. But then I love that he said, and all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Is anybody getting this? He's saying, if you want to see how great I am, I'm going to forgive people. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive their sins. And the whole world, see Moses is over here saying, well God, you gotta, we got to make sure that all these great miracles happen so people know how great you are. And God is saying, when I get through forgiving people, they're going to see how great I am. Amen? And I, I want to tell you that some thousands of years later, it hasn't changed. The greatest thing that America needs is for God to bring salvation to those that are lost. That's greater than everything else we need. And listen, the problems in this country, they do not stem from all the things we think they stem from. They stem from the fact we don't have Jesus. That's where all of our problems come from. If we get Jesus, our problems go away. We throw Jesus out, we're going to have a lot of problems. I don't think it's that complicated. I want, I want to bring attention to something else I think is very significant. Because I really want you guys to get this. I am really stirred this morning. I want you guys to get this. Look at verse 13. I didn't read it. Verse 13. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. For they brought up this people in thy might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou art the Lord among the, this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that, thou, and that thy cloud standest over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar, and a cloud in a pillar of fire by night. Now, all you Bible readers... What does Egypt always represent? What, what does Egypt always represent? Almost, almost 100% of the time, anytime you find Egypt in the Bible, what does it represent? The world. Right? It always represents the world. Moses is saying, get this people, Moses is saying what you guys do is going to reflect what the world thinks about who God is. Do I need to say that again? Because I don't think you guys got it. What you guys do is going to tell the world who our God is. Does that apply today? Does that apply today? See, Moses is saying, uh, um, Israel's not what they're supposed to be, and now the world is going to look at us and say, God must not be as big as we thought he was. And can I tell you right now that the church needs to be shining in this time that we're living in and the world needs to understand that our God is great. But instead, sometimes we make our God little because we're not what we're supposed to be and the world looks at us and says, God's really not that great. And that's on us. That's on us. So, we've been talking about change at Sand Hill and... And I've said this over and over and over again, and I'm going to repeat myself again, but that does not mean we do not have a good church. Because I believe we have a great church. I really do. I believe we have, a great, I believe we have great people. I believe we have some of the greatest people there are. We talked last week about all the phenomenal standards we have. But any, anyone who is running a church, anyone who's running a company, anyone who's running anything, anyone who, how many of you people know, those, those of you that work in the business world, those of you that have had jobs, how many of you know what happens when a manager, uh, someone who is in charge of a corporation says, we're good right where we're at? What happens? Does the company just keep on flourishing and, and prosper? You know, you know, you can you can have the, the number one in the, number one in the, uh, all of your comp competitors are behind you. You're number one, and you say, "We're good." 
You know what will happen? You're going to fall way down the list. You've always got to be saying we've got to do better. And in this church, I think that we have some things that we need to change in, at the Sand Hill Church. And I would like to talk about some fundamental uh, truths this morning. Now, we've talked about in the past about uh, uh, precepts and principles and, and uh, preferences and, and some of the things that are gray areas. And but this morning, I just want to lay down some real clear fundamental This is not uh, a pre- uh, principle. This is not something we can debate or have gray areas. This is, this is how it is. This is what the Word of God says Black and white, no debating it. All men, starting right here in the pulpit and going through all the rest of you that are here, all men and women are sinful. It's just what the Bible says. It is just what the Bible says. The Bible says all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, uh, um, that there are none that are good, no, not one. All of righteousness is as filthy rags. All of us are sinful. Listen, I talk about church people are sinful. I, I talk about Sand Hill people are sinful. I talk about we're all sinful. If we'd ever get that straight, I think things would be a lot better. Because we're still under that misconception that there's some good people. I've been in church all my life. I'm still looking for that person that doesn't do anything wrong. Haven't found them yet. Now, I, I go to church with a lot of really good people. I have a lot of good friends that are Christians. I have a lot of preachers that, are, that, are, that, I, that I love dearly. But I'm still looking for that one and I can say, I just find no fault with this man. I just find no fault with this man. I find no fault with this sister. They're just... Now, we could all admit there are sometimes you find someone, you're a little bit uh, um, impressed with them and you think, oh, that, that guy's got it all together. Until you spend some time with them, <laughs> right? You spend enough time and think, oh my gosh, he just busted up with the rest of us, right? That is, that, is the, that is where we are at. We're all sinful. And this is so important. This is the, we're talking about fundamental truths of the Word of God, and, and we're talking about things that need to change at Sand Hill. All men and women are sinful, and rules will not change that. I, I know I say that so very much, but we, we are sinful, and making rules does not change us from being sinful. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't change that fact. And here, here's what we need to understand. Only, you get this, I, I'm telling you what the Bible says, only the Spirit of God can change us. Amen. And that's really, really important. That, that is really, really important. I'm going to try to, to lay that out, how that works. So a fundamental shift. And... So, so number one, point number one, I, I want to look, I want to look in the mirror. You and I, those, the people who go to Sand Hill Church, the people who are part of our church, the congregation, starting with the pastor and all of you that are here. Setting rules for the Sand Hill Church does not make us good people. It just doesn't. There's a misconception that that's how you get people to be good is having strict enough rules, enforcing them with enough power, and forcing people to be good. So, so let's go back. Uh, this maybe won't be as controversial because we're not old enough. Most of us aren't old enough to remember it. But let's go back. You know, we'll go back to 1950. So at Sand Hill, uh, no one is allowed to go see movies. No one's allowed to play cards. No one's allowed to listen to worldly music. You wear a dress seven days a week. Um, you know, whatever other, other rule we can put in. And everybody in this entire congregation abides by that perfectly. Do we have a good church? Are, are we all pleasing to God? And that's how we think. If we just have strict enough rules on what we do and what we don't do and make everybody abide by them, now we got a good church. But here's what I've learned being in church all my life. Here's what I learned. You can be obeying all those rules and breaking all these rules over here. And then we enforce these rules, then you break those rules. And no matter what we do, you know why that is? Because all men and women are sinful. You have a sin nature, and that sin nature did not get saved. And if you're on your way to heaven, it is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and your, your flesh still wants to do wrong. Your flesh still wants to do wrong. And... I can't change that by forcing you to be good. But the Spirit of God can change who you are. Amen? 
And that is, that is the difference in, in that. So here's a little interesting thing. I did a little research on this. I'm not old enough to remember this. Nobody here was born then. But I'm sure everybody here has heard this. I just did some research on this. You guys have heard about the prohibition, right? The prohibition. It started, I believe, in the late 1800s, went over into the early 1900s. And here's what they said. The, 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 the Christian people got together. This was a strong Protestant movement. The Christian people got together and they said, we're going to force everyone to stop drinking. Now, that sounds like a good idea. Are you, are you with me? That sounds like a good idea. So they said, we'll get enough government officials to agree with us that drinking is bad and we will force everybody not to drink. Again, sounds like a good idea, right? And amazingly, now this is a long, long time ago, the Democrats and the Republicans both almost, it was a super majority, it was, it was way, way, way over half voted and passed a constitutional amendment that in the United States of America, you couldn't drink. I mean, problem solved. Everything's good now. We got a rule that says you're not allowed to drink. We are scot-free. How many of you think that all worked out? How many of you think that all worked out? So the government says it's wrong to drink, and they even said if you drink and you have alcohol, we'll lock you up. And again, we think, well, that's, that's the answer. But what they found out was, all men are sinful. And what they found out is, if you make it illegal, they'll just hide when they do it. And they had their cellars full of whiskey, and they had moonshiners and bootleggers, and they had all this here, and you couldn't stop them. The almighty American government could not stop people from being bad. Because it's inside of us. Isn't it? Now let me just stop right here for a minute. Because I'm, I'm stirred. I'm trying real hard not to get in the flesh. A lot of people, even in this church, think if we could just get everyone to do what the president says, we'd have a good country. Can I tell you that's not the answer? That's not the answer. Now I support our president. I think he's probably the best president we've ever had. I support, that, that's not the point. Here's my point. Government cannot make people be good. If they pass a rule tomorrow that you cannot commit adultery and that you cannot drink and that you cannot be homosexual and that you cannot have abortion, you know people are still going to commit adultery and people are still going to, they're going to do every one of those things. You know why? Because men are sinful. And the government can't stop that. They can put guys with machine guns out and they're still going to do it. Because men are sinful. So you don't make people good by enforcing stricter rules. How you make people good is by the Spirit of God. That's how you change people. And I think that in church, really I think that somehow or another we've missed this a lot of times. And I think a long, long time ago, someone thought that we could do this without the Spirit of God. We just need to have strong enough rules and make people do right. And we'll have a whole bunch of good people. <laughs> Can I tell you, it don't work. It, it don't work. And so... Um, if we get everybody to obey these rules, we still have a bunch of sinner, sinful people. And have we not proved that? Are you guys with me? Have we not proved that, that, that that's just the way it is? Now, here's another problem. So back to my scenario, you know, we're not allowed to do all those things. There's a, there's a rule against all those things. We get everybody at Sand Hills abiding perfectly by those rules. You know, no one's, no one's breaking the rules. Everyone's doing the rules good. And then someone comes in who doesn't do those rules. What are you guys going to do? Look down your noses. That dirty, rotten scoundrel. How dare they call themselves a Christian and not do that. Now we've got a whole other thing. Now you're prideful. Now you're self-righteous. Now you're... So you're sinning just like they're sinning. And you're condemning them because they're sinning, but you're sinning too. And that's how it works. You know why? Because all men and women are sinful. That's just who we are. And now can I tell you this? The Spirit of God can humble you down. The Spirit of God can take away your self-righteousness. The Spirit of God can make you humble and not judgmental. But your, your rules will make you more judgmental. And, I, and I'm not up here preaching about a free-for-all where we're doing anything we want to. I'm up here preaching about how we make change. It is not by stricter rules. It is by the power of God. 
It is by the Spirit of God. That is how we make change. It is by God changing hearts because we love Jesus. We read the Word of God. We see what it says. We say, God, I'm not able to do that. And the Spirit of God changes who we are. That's how we make change. And we have a congregation who love Jesus, who hear the Word of God, who allow the Spirit of God to change them. That's how we have a good church. And it's not by forcing people to be good. And as nicely as I can say this, we just become hypocrites. Now, I'm your pastor. I've been here long enough to say this, I think, um, with a little bit of uh, um, knowing what I'm talking about. I'm your pastor. I pastored you guys for a long time. I've known most of you guys from all my life. And here's what I know. You have your list of rules that you think everybody should abide by, but you're sinning all over the place over here. And that makes you a hypocrite because you're judging those that aren't doing what you think they shouldn't do, but you can't see that you got all these. And I've been saying that for years and years, but there are people, there are people in this church who set themselves up to be the most holy, highly greatest person, but they're just sinning like crazy over here, but they wouldn't dare do this right here. And that is called hypocrite because you look down the ones that break your rules, but you are breaking God's rules. The Bible has a lot to say about that. And so, that cannot be pleasing to God. That, that cannot be pleasing to God. Now, what did Jesus mean um, when he said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not go to heaven. Let me remind you who the Pharisees were. Let me put it in a, in, in a language that you and I can understand. They were the best rule-abiding people that is humanly possible. They kept the rules. They kept the rules. Paul said this after he was saved. He said, you look back at me before I was saved, and according to the law, I was blameless. You know what he's saying? I kept all the rules. I did everything right. I, I am to the best of human ability. I am keeping all, everything that I'm supposed to be keeping. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. All, everybody knows, I'm not going to preach it again, but everybody knows the Pharisees took what Moses said in the law and they added about 600 and some rules to that. And they said, we're going to keep all of these rules. And if you don't keep it, we're going to stone you. Right? And here's the thing. Jesus said the very, very best that humans can do, if you don't do better than that, you're going to hell. Now think about that. <laughs> You're going to hell. <laughs> you know why that is? Nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Amen? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. It, listen, if there was a way that we could just be good enough, Jesus wouldn't need to die on the cross. But Jesus had to die on the cross because we can't be good enough. And after I got saved, I can't be good enough. It isn't me being good enough. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how we get to heaven. And, and we, we can't be good enough to make it there. So we need the power of God to change us. So let's look just a minute at outreach. I have preached on outreach till you guys are sick and tired of hearing about preaching on outreach. We have done a multitude of things for outreach. We've we went door knocking and we've had events and we've had we've just done everything possible that you can think of to, to for outreach. But I want to ask this question. Are we changing our community? Are we impacting this area? Are we making a difference for the kingdom? And what I mean by that, what I mean by that is, it's great to set up tables, it's great to knock on doors, it's great to do a whole lot of things that we do, that, those things are all great, but is it making a difference? Because if we're just doing it to say that we did it, but nothing is happening, we got to stop and look at why is nothing happening, because we're not changing things, we're just doing the motions. And that's been my fear since we closed out church. My fear has been coming back to church, getting, you know, we, we get past these phases, we're back to, to hugging one another and having church all the time, and, all, and now we fire up all the events, and now we're crazy busy, and we're just insanely busy, and we want all of your time to be working all the time at the church, but we're not changing the kingdom, all we're doing to staying really busy. I don't want to go back to that. I want to change things for Jesus. I want to bring people to Christ. I want to see lives changed because of the Spirit of God, not because we're so busy. 
Amen. Well, listen, we don't get points for being busy. We get points for bringing people to Jesus. And I think we need to examine that. How, how do we do that? Well, I'm afraid to say this one. Because this is what's got me really stirred. I'm trying really hard not to get in the flesh. Are we the voice of truth? I don't mean inside these walls. I mean, are we known because we go against the grain? Now, I got to be real careful here. I'll, 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 run off, I'll run off the rails and the rest of the message, but I'm really grieved. I, I'm really, really grieved. I've, I've been really, really grieved, and, and I believe it's God grieving me. And I feel like i got God's thumb in my back so strong I, I can't hardly stand it. But listen to me, I am grieved. Anybody here, anybody here know that our country's in a mess? Anybody have, anybody have an idea this country's in a mess? All right. Is that a news to anybody? Hey, unless you've been living under a rock, this country's in a mess. And that's because all men are sinful. Amen? That, that's the reason. That, that's the reason we're in this mess. And that's not what grieves me. You know, it, it breaks my heart that the United States of America, the great country that it is, has, has come to the place that it is. I understand so simply that it's just because man, men are evil. Men are sinful. And so they're going to, they're going to do what their tendencies is, and that, that is what we have today. Here's what grieves me. I can't tell you how it grieves me. We've come to a time when the pastors are asked to keep their mouth shut because it's not politically correct. But when I can remember, I don't, I don't know how this happened, but I can remember just a few years back, just maybe five or ten years ago, I can remember it was a common thing that said, I'm not politically correct. And then all of a sudden it got to be, if you say something that's not politically correct, you don't belong around here. You're going to offend someone. You're going to hurt someone's feelings. you got to say it the right way, and you got to make it nice, you got to make it gentle, you got to make it sweet, and you got to make everybody like it. But then here's the problem. It's Sand Hill, here's the problem. Now inside the church, there are many people who don't see it the right way. They see it wrong. They don't look at things biblically. They look at things in their own way. So now as a pastor, when you get up and start saying, this is what the Bible says, you're going to offend your own people. So what you need to do is preach on things everybody agrees with and don't offend your people and don't offend those watching and don't affect the world and don't affect the community. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? You can't say anything about what's going on because someone will disagree with it. Here's what I say. Here's what I say. It's about time some pastor stands up and starts saying this is right and this is wrong. It's about time. That might mean you have to go to jail. That might mean they shut this church down. They're already censoring Facebook. That might mean they don't put us on Facebook. That might mean a whole lot of things. But you know, this time someone stand up and say the truth. And they ought to, we ought to say this is right and this is wrong. And fully with all of the feelings of I don't think that's how it is. Doesn't matter what you think. It matters what the word of God says. And it's time that pastors stand up. You know, we are called, listen to me, we are called to be the moral compass of this country. Not the, United, not the uh, government, not the president. But the pastors are called to be the moral compass that say this is right and this is wrong. When we stop doing that, the nation has no conscience. And that's what you get what we have right now. Does anybody see this? Now, I've told this story before, but let let me tell you again. When Hitler took charge of Germany, anybody ever heard of Hitler? Okay, Hitler took charge of Germany. And there were a whole bunch of pastors. And he became real popular, become a big icon. Of course, they were patriotic. We want to support our country. We want to be behind. We want to be good, proud Germans. We don't, want to, we don't want to ruffle the feathers of the government. We don't want to ruffle the feathers of that. And, and then he began to kind of, um, Hitler began to, phrase things politically correct so the pastors would say that sounds pretty close to right and then when Hitler started locking up the Jews and killing them in the concentration camps many of the pastors were right there helping him do it and never said a word 
Hitler, you're wrong and you need to change. Now we look back at that and we say, how in the world could thousands of pastors go along with Hitler? Bonhoeffer, those of you that have read the book, those of you that know the story, Bonhoeffer stood up and said, no, that is sin, that is wrong, and you can't do that. Yeah, they locked him up, yeah, they, maybe they took his life, but can't tell you. He stood up for what's right, and today, all across the world, people know the name Bonhoeffer because he stood for what was right, but all those thousands of pastors that went along with it and went to the concentration camps and helped promote what he was doing, uh, they, they will stand before God because they did not say, this is sin. I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do here. And maybe you say, Pastor, this is not the church for me. Listen, I'm not talking about being a belligerent, um, harsh, mean, say the stupidest things just to be taking a stand like a lot of pastors. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about thus saith the word of God. It's about time someone says thus saith the word of God. Killing babies is wrong. Amen? It's just wrong. Listen, we get so used to it, we just let it go away. But it's wrong. Homosexuality, it is wrong. It is sin. It is evil. But can I tell you, so is sleeping with someone who's not your wife. It's sin. It's wrong. And someone needs to stand up and say it's wrong. And we shouldn't worry about whose feelings it's going to hurt. It is wrong. Are we a voice of truth? What I'm saying is, this community here, this community around us, all these houses, the city of Sandusky, the city of Cassay, all the people around us, do they look to Sand Hill and say, if you want to know what really is right and wrong, go to them, they'll tell you. Or do they say, they're just going to, they're just going to smooth over whatever's going wrong. And I'm just telling you, maybe you want to find another pastor, maybe you want to find another church, but I'm just getting a place I can't do it anymore. I, I can't just go along to make everybody happy. This whole corona thing, you got to be careful what you say, you got to be careful what you do, you got to worry about everybody's feelings, uh, all this stuff. And, then, and now, this, now this whole uh, Black Lives Matter thing come along, and now you got to be careful what you say. And I found myself going through Facebook, and my blood just pressure just rising and rising and rising, going through, going through all that stupid fo- uh, facial uh, social media. And here's what really just eats me up, is the Christians that are common. That's what eats me up. I mean, I don't mind the world being all messed up, but when the church is all messed up, we don't even know what's right and wrong. And here's what I thought as I'm reading it, but Charles, this is what I re- this is what I thought. If I say something, my people are going to think I am bad because I'm speaking politically incorrect. And if I say something, all the people that I'm friends with in other churches are going to think that I am bad because I am saying something that's not politically correct. But you know what God said? Son, it's about time someone stand up and say the truth because everybody's keeping their mouth shut because they're afraid of hurting someone's feelings. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? It's about time we say this is right and this is wrong. Amen? It's about time we say this is right and this is wrong. I long to see results in our community. Is, am I alone here? I, listen, I don't just want to have a bunch of events. I want to see us change this community. I want to see us see lost souls saved. I want to see the church grow. I want to see us stand for righteousness. I want to see us be known for righteousness. I want to see us be known for what the Bible says, speaking truth and, and, and having the power of God uh, uh, rule this church. And that's outreach, people. Outreach is not an event. Outreach is, is, is the word of God with the power of God reaching the people that are on their way to hell. Now that might, that might, that might, we might use a tool of event, and what I'm saying by that is if we have the word of God and the truth of God and the power of God, an event might be how we get it there, but that event doesn't mean we're doing outreach. That event might just be something for us to do on Saturday. Is anybody with me? And I want us to get to the place where we are changing America. Point number three. Point number one was our uh, was our ourselves and people in our churches. Point number two was outreach. Point number three, overcoming evil. I get excited and forget to give you the points. Point number three, overcoming evil. Now, I don't know what you guys think. I am stirred this morning. You probably tell that I am stirred this morning, but I, I don't know what you guys think. Do you guys think, sitting here in the pew, my congregation at the Sand Hill Church, do you guys think that this country is so messed up and there ain't a thing we can do about it? We just need to batten down the hatches and try and get through till Jesus comes. Because I'm telling you what, that is not what God is telling me. I'm not ready to quit fighting. I think we need to stand up and say, this is wrong and someone needs to take a stand against it. Amen. Amen. 
Say, Pastor, there might be consequences for that. Yeah, there probably will be if we do it right. But are we willing to stand up for Jesus or do we want to just keep our mouth shut? You know, as a pastor, if you don't go against the grain and you don't ruffle feathers, you can build a big church, you can have people think you're great, you can get a lot of pats on the back, and you never have to deal with controversy. Why would you want to do it the other way? Where everybody's mad at you, no one wants to come to church, and, and everybody thinks you're a troublemaker. Why would you want to do that? Because God said, it is your job to speak up for truth. Amen. That is, that is the place that we, we are. So, America is void of truth. It really looks like when you watch the news day, it looks like it's hopeless. Listen, I don't believe it's hopeless. I don't believe it's hopeless at all. You know what I believe? I just believe we need some good people to stand up and tell the truth. I, just, I believe that's, all we, that's, what talk, that's what we need. And it just kills me that, that, the, that, that the, the sinful people, you know, we can, call them, we can call them all kinds of names we want to politically and everything else, but the truth is there are sinners and there are Christians. And the sinners are promoting their propaganda very, very well and convincing most of the country to believe them. And the Christians are doing a very poor job of convincing the people that we're right. Does anybody understand this? They're winning the propaganda war. Does everybody know what propaganda is? It's false news. It's lies. We're getting pumped into them every day on social media and on the news networks. We're getting pumped full of lies and the Christians are buying into it. It's because no one wants to stand up and say, that is lie. That is wrong. That is not what the Bible says. And we need to stand up and say, this is truth. And don't believe that garbage. I understand that uh, we have to be maybe sensitive how we say this. I'm getting a little bit tired of this. And I, believe it or not, I've really got this thing toned down this morning because I'm not really saying what I really should say. I'm a little bit sick and tired of, you've got to be careful about everybody's different point of view. No, I don't. No, I don't. If you've got a wrong point of view and it's not biblical, why do I have to be careful about that? And that's what we're told. Well, you got to be real careful. You know, there's a lot of different views in the church. A lot of people see things different ways. And I, I love this one. Well, we don't really know what the Bible says, so we just all have different opinions. Baloney! It's my job to tell you what the Bible says, because the Bible does say what we're supposed to believe, and we ought to believe what the Bible says. And, and I'm tired of being told that we have to watch out for everyone's views, and we want to say it in a way that it'll be acceptable, and we don't want to step on anybody's feelings. But what about all those people who sit in the pews and die and go to hell because no one will stand up and tell the truth? It's time we get over being so, so worried about uh, offending people who disagree and start telling the truth. Me and Renee was talking this morning. It breaks my heart. And I'm not talking about, I'm not, I'm not pointing out anybody in particular. I'm just, I'm just saying this as a blanket statement. It breaks my heart, the people who have grown up in this church. I'm talking about they were born here and they grew up in this church. Who now believe absolute heresy. You know what maybe part of the problem is? Someone needs to say, you are wrong. Not your opinion, not how you see it. You are wrong. It's sin. It's wrong. You don't get to go against the Bible and then say, don't hurt my feelings. Because it's time that pastors stand up. Because, you know, we can look back now. What was it? 1940s, I think, World War II. We can look back now, some 80 years ago or whatever, and we can say, what was wrong with those pastors? And I don't know if the Lord will tarry, but say if the Lord tarries another 80 years, they could be looking back on my generation and saying, what is wrong with those pastors? They kept their mouth shut. Washington was killing babies, promoting homosexuality. Adultery was rampant. Drunkenness was popular. Everyone was doing drugs. They had all this crazy political correctness going on. And the pastors never said a word. What's wrong with them? I don't want to be in that bunch. I don't want to be in that bunch. Listen, it's a hard day to be a pastor. I understand that. I understand a lot of my, a lot of my good friends uh, that, that I love very dearly. Maybe they don't want to be labeled as a troublemaker. Be realized, I'm not so sure I want to either. But I'm getting mighty uncomfortable God shoving his thumb up my back. And I just believe it's time that we as a Sand Hill Church stand up and say, that goes against the Bible. I love you. But you're wrong. Is that too much? Is that, is that too much?
What if the way we're doing it now is really what's hindering? Have thought about that? I know it makes some of you nervous when we talk about change, but what if the way we're doing it now is a real hindrance? You know, I said we need to make some fundamental shifts. I do think that there's a mindset on some people in this church, and I don't know who, whatever, but I do think there's a mindset in this church that basically people are good, and they're like shocked that people are bad. You know, it's just, it's just funny when you're the pastor. You have someone new come into the church, and they come into church and say, oh, you guys are just great. We love, this church is loving, and then, man, you preach the word of God, and it's just loving. Everybody's so nice. Man, everybody's just such great Christians. And then they go to church here for a year or two, and they're like, oh, my goodness. They do things that are wrong. Yeah, newsflash, all of us do, including the pastor, right? We, we're, not, we're not a perfect bunch of people. We're, we're, we do things we should not do. But I do think there's that mentality that, that you know, oh, church people just always do what is right, and we just need a few more rules, and everybody will be a good person. That's not true. That is not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. So, let me... After this is over with, all of you can tell me how I shouldn't have done this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Can I just tell you, I, I think things need to change. I think we need to have the power of God as our standard of changing lives. And I think that we need to start being a little less worried about what everybody thinks and a little bit more worried about what God thinks. You know, we don't want to offend people. What about offending God? You say, Pastor, what do you think about what's going on in the country right now? I'm going to tell you what I think about what's going on in the country right now. Say, Pastor, you can't talk about that in church. Well, I'm going to. Now, my opinion doesn't matter. Let me just say that. Your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. But what the Bible says does matter. It is my job to tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Listen, this isn't up for debate. This is what the Bible says. Whatever your opinion on everything is, it doesn't really matter. It's what the Bible says. Can I get an amen? amen? It's what the Bible says. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says. There is one race. It's the human race. There's not a bunch of races. Listen, I, I think I'm the least prejudiced person that there is. Listen, I don't like white people just like I don't like black people, right? I, I, if you're stupid, I don't, I don't like you. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It has nothing to do with the color your skin is. But here's what we know. Everybody came from the same parents, right? Biblically speaking, there aren't a bunch of races. It is all, we are all one family. We are all one race. We are all come from the same thing. Listen, we're, we're all the same people. And they taught us at the museum when we went down there, which just makes perfect sense to me, that the pigment, in, 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 and I don't think I'll offend them because they're the kind of people that don't get offended, but let me just say this here. If you see Brother Tom, Brother CJ, or Sister Tina in the summertime, you're going to question, are they one of us, right? It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with pigment in your skin. And listen, it's craziness, all this stuff about, listen to me. If someone is a different color skin than us, we ought to love them just like we love everybody else. But if someone's stupid of any color skin, they're still stupid. Amen? And that's what the Bible says. Listen to me. If I... I can say this because I am one, right? If I go to West Virginia, to my part of West Virginia, and I see four or five boys with real long beards and a big old four-wheel drive truck, got a shotgun across there and a couple, couple of ball bats, I'm going to question my safety. Is that because I'm prejudiced? Listen, I'm one of them. But I know how kind of people they are, and I know what will probably happen if I cross the line. They're going to beat me to death. That has nothing to do with prejudice. That has nothing to do with race. That has to do with common sense. They have proven that's who they are. See, race doesn't really enter into this conversation. At this church, I just say, and I, and I don't believe we have any problem whatsoever at this church with that, but I just say this, if anybody comes in this church and their skin's a different color, we ought to treat them just like we treat anybody else. It's, there, there's no difference. I believe that we would. I certainly would. Because I love all races. And I think, but here's the thing. They're not all races. They're, they're my race. They're my race, right? And here's another truth for you, biblical truth. You say, Pastor, you're venting. Yeah, probably am. But it's really got me, it's really got under my skin. Here's another thing. Romans chapter 13, Paul makes it very clear. The government does not bear the sword in vain. They bear it to keep everybody in order. Now, do I justify uh, um, police abuse? Absolutely not. But do I justify a police officer having to harm someone for breaking the law? The Bible does. The Bible does. Now, I just want you to understand this. I don't know if you've heard this, and, and when I heard this, Brother Charles, my blood just about boiled out of my body. But some stupid, and I could say what it is, but I'll keep my mouth shut and not say that word. 
But some stupid person put this on there, and they're promoting this now. Governors are promoting this, senators are promoting this, congressmen are promoting this. We need to eliminate all the police officers. Cut their pay, eliminate all the police officers. And if there's a problem, we'll send in social workers. Now, how ignorant can you be? Now, how ignorant can you be? But here's the thing. Someone breaks into my house. Uh, now, now, let's just say, you know, a lot of us wear our shoulders back and say, you come to my house, I'm going to blow your head off. What if there's 12 of them? You ain't got enough bullets. Right? I mean, I got way more bullets than that in my house, but I don't know if I can get them loaded fast. You guys are coming through the door. So, anyways, but here's the thing. If that happens, and, and someone's going to come in and steal things from me or harm my family, do I want to call a social worker and wait for them to come out and have a discussion with them? I want someone to come with a gun and make them stop. And how in the world do we get to the place where Christians think that's not okay? Because God says it is okay. And let me just say this. Violence is wrong no matter when you do it. I heard it. You say you watch too much Facebook. I do. I got to stop watching Facebook. I just, it just, I watch stuff I shouldn't be watching. It's really getting under my skin. Here's what I heard someone say, and I believe this is like a high political person, governor or something or another, some another stupid person, but person said this. This is what they said. They said, putting your knee on a man and taking his life, that is violence. Knocking the windows out and hurting people, that is not violence. How do you get to be that stupid? How do you get to be that stupid? And what I'm saying is, the Bible says it's wrong. Both of them are wrong. Everything is wrong. So it's clear. There's only one race. The, the law has a right to enforce, uh, uh, protect us. And violence is wrong no matter who does it. And can I tell you, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, it's still wrong. It's wrong whoever does it. And, and, the, and the common sense thing is, no one is allowed to be violent. And if you are violent, we're going to stop you. That's where we started about 100 years ago. <laughs> But boy, we've come a long ways, Hudson. And you say, preacher, how, what are we going to do? Well, every, every day the news is feeding us lies. And a lot of people are believing it. And every day social media is feeding us lies. And what I'm saying is, it's about time the pulpits start feeding us some truth. And stop worrying about... That's going to be, you know, they might take this down. I don't know if you know, but Facebook is taking down almost anything that goes even close to this subject. They take it down. They might take us down. That's okay. They might come in, lock me up, put me in jail. That's okay. But can I tell you, can I honestly tell my congregation, I would rather be sitting in jail right now than to know that I have offended God. I would rather stand up for the truth and offend the world and have to go to jail than to offend my God and stand in judgment and him say, Gary, all that stuff was going on and you never said a word. It's time we stand for the truth. Now, I'm done preaching. But this is what I want to ask my church family. Do we believe that the power of God and the truth of God's word can, can affect this society? Because can I tell you, if we, don't, if we don't, what are we doing here? Why? We could have went fishing this morning. <laughs> what are we doing here? If I don't believe God can make change, if I don't believe that we're on the winning side... If I don't believe we're sent here to, to be a, a, a conscience to this, to this world, then why are we here? But I do believe that. And I hope I have some brothers and sisters that will stand behind us and, and fight this battle. Amen?